Wolfpack, thanks so much for tuning into the Fantasy Fullback Dive today. Before we pave your path to 2020 fantasy titles, a quick announcement. We're looking to add new lead blockers to crush it with this summer. Writers, video, dev, marketing, finger massagers. If you're passionate about fantasy and you want to join this young, energetic startup with a limitless DK Metcalf ceiling, slide on into the Wolf's DMs on Twitter at RotoStreetWolf or hit us up at RotoStreetJournal on Facebook or Instagram and learn more details. Also, for show notes and bonus goodies for today and every episode, visit FF. BDPod.com. All right, chin straps on, let's go. Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final The Fantasy Fullback Dive is thrilled to welcome on Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst over at The Score. Justin was the most accurate fantasy expert of 2019, according to Fantasy Pros, and he's now been top seven for six straight seasons, top ten in seven of the last eight. Needless to say, he's as accurate as they come. You can find all of his work over on The Score, and he also has The Score Fantasy Football Podcast. Justin, thanks so much for coming on and joining today. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing even better after that intro. Thanks for just <laughs> reading out all the accolades there. It's it's nice to hear all in one spot. But no, I appreciate you having me on and can't wait to talk some ball. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy to give praise. The results, it's one thing to say, I just love reading your work and it's awesome. But then to also back it up with that type of accuracy numbers where hopefully uh, pick your brain a little bit, figure out how do you get so accurate, what your process is throughout this interview. And then we're also going to be previewing a series that you've got coming up. There's a couple articles already released. And then by the time this drops, the other two will probably be out as well. Set about players who are going to exceed their ADPs. In other words, some nice bargains right now in fantasy football who we expect to beat their ADPs. Always important to find those and get the values. Um, and that's always just the, the path to a league winner is getting the right guys at the right price. But before we dig into that featured segment, let's start kind of picking your brain and learning a little bit about you, how you got here and everything. So start with the top. What was kind of your path into this fantasy industry? You know, When did you get involved? And then do you have any advice for others that are looking to break into this space right now? Well, I just went on the Game Changers podcast with Dan Harris, and we did maybe 40, 50 minutes going through all of my background, like all the way to when I was a kid and first started liking football. So I'm not going to go in that much depth here, but if anybody wants those really little details, they can go listen to that one. But for me, really, I had a passion for football. I started playing in high school. And that's when it started. And I kind of threw every other sport aside at that point. And I knew football was the one that I just loved the most. And I hope that someday I could make a career in it somehow. I didn't know if it was going to actually happen, but uh, I was fortunate. I went to journalism school, coming out of school. So I'm Canadian. I, most of the people in the industry know that. I grew up in a border town in Niagara Falls. So I'm a, I'm a Bills fan, right? <laughs> right around those years when they were making the Super Bowl every year I was a kid and, and just loving it. Um, so that's, you know, I, I, Got a job right out of school in the CFL, actually. So it was for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And they got a little bit of notoriety a couple years ago when Johnny Manziel signed there <laughs> briefly. So everybody everybody followed them for one season. Um, but it was just a, the perfect job uh, coming out of school. I had an internship with them. And then I got brought on to be the staff writer full time. And I was able to learn everything about uh, an organization, right? Exactly how yeah. the players approach their jobs, the front office, the medical staff. I got to see it all and it was fantastic and it's information that I still use all the time. You know, when we see the the coach speak come out, I feel like sometimes I have a little bit better insight because I'm like, yeah, I remember when they did that with the <laughs> team, like that sort of stuff, right? Um, so that was great. And then I, I got a job after that, after a couple of years there uh, with TSN, which is like Canadian ESPN basically. And I was running their NFL section and that was the first time I got a chance to actually produce some fantasy content in the industry. And that's when I contacted Fantasy Pros. I found their expert competition. And I thought, you know what, let's see how I can do up against the, the top dogs here. And, and I'll be completely honest, I am very confident, but I wasn't too sure how it was gonna go. I just didn't want to embarrass myself right. that first year. And I finished eighth 
And immediately I was like, okay, wait a minute, maybe I could win this thing. Um, and I've just been very fortunate since I, I spent a few years at TSN and I was producing fantasy content there. Then I went over to the score and I was running their NFL team, had about six or eight writers. Um, and I was producing fantasy content there as well on my rankings. And it seems like every year I kind of just keep refining my process, getting a little better. And uh, yeah, it finally culminated in, in being the most accurate last year. That's awesome. And let's kind of dig into that process then. Uh, you know, what is your steps every year? Again, as we just to like reiterate those stats, just so insane <laughs> to be top six or top seven, rather six straight years and to be the number one in 2019, as you said, probably a great feeling. How do you do it? Like, wh- why? How are you? I'd say probably the most accurate man in fantasy based on those stats. What is your process? So, you know, how do you do this? I feel like everyone thinks there's like some small secret, right? That, oh, there's got to be one. That, what's that one stat that you found that, you know, just unlocks everything? Mm-hmm. There's not. I, I think for me, uh, the biggest thing has just been hard work. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but there's a lot of nights where, you know, I'm canceling plans with friends and family because it's Saturday night and I don't think my rankings are where I want them to be at that yeah. point. There's a lot of nights where I'm not getting very much sleep. You know, during the season, the last couple of years, I got a new process where I'm staying up until one or two in the morning so I can make sure I get all the Schefter Rappaport news that comes out uh, on the East Coast pretty late or pretty early, depending on how you're looking at it. And then I'm waking up at like four in the morning. So I'm only getting a couple hours of sleep on Saturday night. And I figure, you know, I'll just make it up during the week if I can. And then the problem is you never really do until the season's <laughs> over. But um, yeah, so the, just putting in those extra hours you know, trying to find any edge that I can, you know, I'm listening to podcasts at 1.5 speed. I'm not there for the banter. I just want to know, is there any stat? Is there any insight that somebody else in the industry has found that week or, you know, going into the season that maybe I didn't think of, or maybe I didn't see. Um, So, you know, it's not really enjoyable necessarily to listen to everybody with the, the Mickey Mouse voice, just zipping through everything. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do because I think it allows me to consume more And that's really the big thing. It's trying to get as much data as possible into my brain so that I can kind of build that picture and figure out, you know, what's going to happen that week. And it's it's everything. It's it's not just looking at the talent. It's not just breaking down the film. It's defensive matchups. It's the injuries. It's the injuries on the defensive side of the ball as well and how that's going to impact who can we Mm -hmm. pick on maybe. Right. Those weak corners coming in because it's their four string guy this week. And now guess what? You know, that that wide receiver is going to have a pretty big day against him. It's all that sort of stuff. So I wish that I had one, you know, specific thing that I could point to. But if there was one thing, I guess it would just be the the hard work that I'm trying to put in every single year and just refining refining that process year in and year out. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is an absolute grind, especially during the season, as you're saying. But I think, you know, it's the the nights on Saturdays and everything you're citing, it can get tough, but to to have it then pay off at the end of the year to be known as the number one expert. I mean, how how does that feel? Just like to hear that at the end of the season. Well, it's it's one that I was gunning for for a long time, and mm. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get over that hump. Obviously, I was doing you know so well for so long, and it was tough to explain to people you know, the disappointment of finishing like third, like everyone's like, Oh, you finished third. That's fantastic. And it's like, yeah, but like, this is like five years now that I haven't won. And I'm very, very competitive. That's something else that, that drives me a lot. So, uh, it felt fantastic. Um, down the stretch last year, it was, uh, you know, it was just trying to get to that finish line. Um, and once I was able to, it was nice because the holidays came around and, you know, for the first year in a while, I was able to just completely let loose and, you know, not have that slight disappointment kind of hanging over things. Um, so yeah, it was a, a phenomenal feeling and one that I hope I can replicate again this year. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, you're always trying to dig and find some specific stats, whether it's a weekly basis or preseason and whatnot. Are there any type of stats, film people or anything of that nature that you found along the way that you consider like the analytic that you think has really helped driven your analysis to the next level? Or, or what are some things that fantasy owners can kind of look to target um, for 2020 preparation? I mean, if you're talking about specific stats, like I would go back to the thing, like I said, where I view it as more of like a mosaic, right? Where there's all these little pictures to make up the big picture. And it's all that data that you're trying to to put together to, and it's not going to be perfectly clear. And I'll be honest, you know, especially during the season when that deadline comes in to get the rankings in and when, you know, one o'clock Eastern comes on a Sunday and you got to set all your lineups. 
there's a lot of weeks where I'm not happy. I wish I had another half hour, an hour. There, you know, there's more that I want yeah. to do to those rankings, especially when you're looking at, you know, the injury reports coming out, the inactives coming out at 11:30 a.m., and then you only have that hour and a half kind of to update <laughs> everything. So, um, but if you want to talk about specific things, I mean, I don't want to give away everything. I think people you know, can go. <laughs> consume my content and my rankings, my projections, all that stuff at the score. Uh, that's what that's for. But if you want to look at like specific positions um, for quarterback, you know, things like touchdown rate, I think are very important. And then you see somebody like Lamar Jackson come along last year and just blow that out of the water. And <laughs> right. it's going to regress a little bit, but you know, guys like him and Patrick Mahomes, they're just going to put up a touchdown rate. That's a little higher than everybody else. And, and that makes them pretty special uh, for running back. It's all about volume. But if you want to look at, you know, broken tackle rate, uh, PFF has the elusive rating, which I think is mm-hmm. is really good there. Um, you know, yards after contact is important. And then for receivers and tight ends, we could say too, air yards. Like if you're not looking at air yards, yeah. it's so predictive, right? Like, and we see guys like uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, you know, he puts out a, an article every week during the season where he breaks down the guys who are by lows because of air yards. And, the, you know, maybe they haven't put up the stats yet but the underlying numbers are there and it's coming. So I think that stuff's very important. And then I would say in the last couple of years, one thing that I noticed that I think I was putting too much weight on was historical data. I was looking back and kind of adding in, you know, maybe three years back or so. Um, I think that's too much. In the last couple of years, I've kind of shrunk that down to just a year or two out because uh, a lot changes in the NFL during that time and, you know, the age and all that sort of stuff and, and guys can drop off the cliff pretty quickly. So uh, that's one that I put a little less weight in and kind of just crunched that down to a, a year or two back, and that's about it. Absolutely. All all those are great stats. I love air yards. It's funny to see how the industry evolves, too. There's there's even stats like coming off of air yards now, like quality of those <laughs> air yards because they factor yep. in QB play, and it's just it's crazy. And obviously there's some noise. you got to filter out which ones do matter and not. But I, I love those ones. Uh, a couple guests came on. They also cited the uh, yards per route run to like kind of cross That's compare those, yep. right? Like you, you see how much volume's coming in, but how efficient are they being with the volume too? So Absolutely. all those metrics are all fantastic. If you're going to boil it all down now, so I, I, I totally agree. It's a mosaic, right? That There's all these different factors that create fantasy value, whether it's the individual talent, the usage, the surrounding team around them, whether it's the coaching scheme that helps dictate a lot of that. If you were going to kind of like make a formula, where would you start or how would you kind of weigh some of these factors if you were going to kind of boil it all down? I don't know that I think it's as valuable to say because each position is different, all that sort of stuff. That's true. I don't know that you can lay it out as black and white like that, that it's just going to be one, two, three, four. This is the most important. I don't necessarily think it works like that. It's more of like I'm saying, and I know that's not the answer you want. I know you no. want like that pattern and you know exactly how it should go down, but it's not like that because we see there's so many different players and there's so many different paths to success, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy that comes out with phenomenal athletic measurables could be very successful. And then you have a guy like, let's say, Devin Singletary last year, who he didn't run very fast, and he didn't look that great in some of those athletic measurables. But guess what? The guy can play. And we saw that in his college film, too. And I bring him up because I'm a Bills fan, but also because I kind of underrated him last year because of some of the, the measurables at the Combine. So there's so many different paths. I think it's a mistake just to focus on one thing. And you know, in the industry, a lot of people want to look at you know, the, the film versus the analytics, you know, that's a big debate that always happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem. If you're just going to jump on one side and argue it to the death, that's a big problem. You've got to be taking the best from both sides. And the answer is really, you want to look at everything and it depends case by case by each player. And like I said, I know that's not the the sexy advice. Everybody wants the, the clear ABC kind of thing. But I think as much information as you can get to put all together is the important thing. And don't just focus in on one stat or one type of analysis. Because if you do that, whether it's in fantasy football or whether it's in real life consuming news, if you're just getting everything from one source, it's going to be a problem at some point for you. 
Absolutely. I know that's that was a struggle as a site. We were trying to create like our evaluation tool, our, our formula, exactly what you're saying. Certain positions even might have a different formula. Usage might be more important, you already said it, to running backs than it might be to wide receiver. All a guy we're going to talk about a little bit, McCole Hardman needs is one open, you know, lane and he has a, a 90 yard touchdown uh, down the scene. You know, it, it, so it is so different. We've kind of stopped focusing on, oh, well, talent should be 30 and usage should be 25 points and this is how we grade and more so just here's as much data as we can show you for all the factors. Now you make your educated decision using that information. That's what we're trying to evolve as a site to get to. So I love that answer. I know you said it didn't sound sexy, but that's <laughs> that's kind of how our process has changed. Trying to be sexy, have a clear cut 100 points and this is how it is. It just not it doesn't work. It, it's too well, hard. Yeah. And I like I like what you're saying that the process should change. I'm talking about each year I'm refining right. it. I don't have all the answers. 15 years ago, my rankings were probably good enough to beat my buddies in my fantasy <laughs> leagues, but they're nowhere near as refined as they are now. So I like hearing that you guys are doing the same, right? Each year, you got to look at it. You got to analyze what went right, what went wrong. I like the people that are very upfront about you know where they made mistakes. I have made plenty, as accurate as I can be. I miss on stuff too. It happens with all of us, right? So you got to look at that honestly and then try to build from it and try to learn, you know, how can you avoid that next time? And we just keep trying to get better. Despite being number one last year, is there, you know, one type of thing or any kind of mistakes, as you're saying here, you reflect upon and you're like, okay, in 2020, I might do something differently. It's tough to kind of come up with that answer when you've been number one now, (laughs) but is there anything you're looking at differently entering this year, you know, building off that answer you just gave? Uh, I haven't really found the thing this year, I would say. Um, you know, like I said, a couple years ago, it was that historical data kind of I kind of came to that conclusion. Um, this year, there hasn't really been one thing that that pops out yet. Um, I always want to continue to evolve the injury analysis. I think things like injury analysis and and offensive line uh, stuff, I, that's so important and stuff that the the casual fans, I don't think are looking close enough at. And as we get more people in the industry, specifically with the injuries, you have a lot of people joining the industry now that are bringing really good information that are citing all these, you know, medical studies. And once again, you know, I had Dr. Edwin Porras of uh, Fantasy Points on the podcast a few weeks back. And we had a great conversation where he admitted, right, like it's not a perfect science because they're not getting to analyze these guys, you know, hands on in person. So you're kind of doing a lot of guesswork. You're trying to look at the video of the injury, can you figure out the the mechanism? And does that give you maybe a bit better of a picture of how severe it could be or exactly what type of injury it is? But I like some of the stuff that that he's pointed out where some of these studies where a player that's had a specific injury, let's say, you know, when they come back within this time frame, what percentage of their, you know, normal stats are they able to produce? Or if a guy's, you know, dealing with a hamstring injury in his first game back, how do they normally perform in those type of games? And that's stuff that's really valuable. And I think often people overlook that because, yeah, it's very, very boring, right? Yeah. And that's why the fantasy analysts are here, right? We could look at all that stuff and, and try to figure it out and then just find a, an easier way to pass it along to everyone so we don't have people going through you know, medical journals and things like that. Nope, nobody's got time for that. We have time for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the last two before we get to this feature where we're going to start talking more and more about players again, just trying to kind of pick the brain of these wolves and figure out how they do their their process rings, especially the most accurate wolf again. I just got to keep reiterating that. It's unbelievable. Um, hopefully one day I can come for you and take that title. Uh, Bring it up. But- Bring it up. <laughs> Are there any type of, we've talked about some stats you look at some websites you know pff different things are there any other sites or tools that you kind of consider game changers obviously the score as well and i i will just credit too i i love just you seem to really get right to the point you tell us exactly what we need like i i just it's so refreshing honestly in an industry where i'll find myself even just pouring this stat this stat this stat it's just like i don't need to know all that and you do such a good job of cutting to everything and just giving me exactly what i need to know for why this guy is going to be a breakout i respect it. I love it. Um, And of course, your rankings, the most accurate rankings, it makes the score one of the top tools, both preseason and in-season. Are there any other sites or tools, though, that you would recommend? Well, I would say first with the score stuff, one thing that's helped me is that we're creating content for the mobile app, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people, they don't want to read crazy long articles (laughs) on their phone, right? So 
we've always tried to condense things and get it, you know, as brief as possible. A lot of sections, a lot of bullet points, you know, try to get that information. Like I said, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for everyone. Cause I want with our draft kit, which is free and is available right now. You can check it out on the score app, but I want somebody to be able to do their draft and have the score app up on their phone as well and have it be so uh, easy to just move through and jump mm-hmm. through different things and check out the strength of schedule and check out the rankings and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gone out of my way to try to make sure it's as easy as possible. So I appreciate you recognizing that. Uh, as for other tools, I mean, there are so many in the industry that are fantastic. Um, you know, you talk about PFF, like even the grades there when you're talking about offensive linemen stuff. Mm-hmm. I am certainly not the best at breaking down offensive lines, yeah. uh, you know, play by play. But when you have something like the grades from PFF, um, you have guys like, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Thorne at uh, at Establish the Run. He does really good work uh, with with that, with offensive and defensive lines. Um, you know, you have somebody like uh, like Dwayne McFarlane also at Establish the Run doing the utilization report. And that kind of stuff is fantastic. I know Pat Thorman. I'm going to mention all these guys from Establish the Run. I think they did such a great job. Of, Legendary of grab- crew. Yeah. They've been grabbing all those guys that had all these really great articles and information that they were putting out, and now they're bundling it all together. You know, Pat Thorman and the the pace of play and the yep. snap stuff that he does, uh, that's all stuff that helps paint that picture like I'm talking about. So I think they do a, a really good job there. Um, you know, I, I think those are articles you got to check out every week. Uh, well, I feel like I'm doing a commercial for them, but you know, <laughs> matchups column is great. I would say though, uh, one guy in the industry that I think is maybe even underrated still at this point, you know, they say like comics have like a favorite comic. If you ask me, my favorite fantasy analyst is JJ Zacharyson over at number fire. I think he does a fantastic job of condensing things. And his podcast is very brief, but just full of information and he has great insight on stuff he he's really really good and i I recommend if anybody out there isn't following him they probably are but if they aren't they should be he's been on the score podcast uh, with me a few times um he's he's really really good i'm probably gonna miss a whole bunch of people on a whole bunch of sites out there i'm gonna have people that are mad at me probably um you know uh warren sharp sharp football analysis uh, he does a really good job. Uh, Rich Rebar's there with him now. Uh, Greg Cosell for film stuff is really good. And and this is the thing. Anybody in the industry that tells you they're doing it by themselves, that they have all the answers, no they're lying to you. They're absolutely lying to you. We're all working with each other. And I have said this so many times, but I am stunned that everyone in the fantasy industry has been so uh, nice and so welcoming. When I first got in the industry, I thought it was going to be so competitive and cutthroat. And everybody's been fantastic and everybody wants to help each other. Um, one more I will mention, uh, because I kind of cite these guys for helping stoke that that passion, that fire that I have mm. for fantasy football. Uh, it's the guys at the Audible, Sigmund Bloom, uh, Matt mm. Waldman, Gene Brammel. Uh, they do a great job of really giving a high level of analysis and then making it fairly casual. There's a friendship there. They've been doing it for a long time. And I really credit those guys for for making me excited and making me think that, you know what, this is a career I could do and I could get to a point where, you know, I'm really happy putting out the content and I'm not just some hot take guy, you know, screaming from the rooftops, go draft this guy because, you know, like I don't like that stuff. I want to be able to back up any point I have. I want it to be reasoned, logical. I think those guys do a great job and I'm hoping that, that I'm doing a great job with that now too. Absolutely. A, a fantastic list. I'll second all of those guys. I mean, they're all unbelievable sites and resources that you cited there. So uh, that, that'll kind of wrap up our, you know, tools of the trade and picking the brain of the most accurate expert. Now let's kind of get some of his insight on 2020 and the players he expects to exceed their ADPs. Again, we're with Justin Boone of The Score. Um, and this series has been fantastic. I've already seen the quarterbacks and running backs at this point, And I know the wide receivers, I think, are dropping today. Did they already drop or uh the wide receivers are going to come out later today so yeah. by the time people are are listening there they might might be up uh and then tight ends got bumped back so they're going to be next week they're going to come out on tuesday perfect so by the time this one comes out I'm, I'm guessing all those will be out so make sure you check out the score it's a fantastic series gives you those guys that are nice bargains that will really help you out and outperform their adps so check out the score for the full list we're going to give you one of justin's picks to be an adp exceeder and then i'll also 
give a guy um, to just counter, you know, not counter, but necessarily just add on to that. And if we have, you know, an occasional deep shot or whatnot, we'll toss those in there as well. Sure. So we'll just do one for each position, um, one each for each position, and we'll dive right in with quarterbacks to start. Your pick is Teddy Bridgewater, which I absolutely love. Give me the case for him, and I, I, maybe I can help paint it on because I'm also 10 spots higher right now than the ECR on him. I absolutely love it. So what's your case for Teddy Bridgewater? Well, one is just where he's going. And and like you mentioned, I'm mentioning uh, three guys in the article and then also three deep shots. Um, and Teddy is probably the, the least exciting name. I think I even said that in the article <laughs> when I wrote about him, that he's probably the least exciting name on that list. And he's going right now as like the quarterback 26, I believe, in ADP. So undrafted in, you know, single quarterback leagues. And yet the situation that he's going to is still pretty good. And if you look back last year, you got those five starts for the Saints. And man, you couldn't end up in a better situation than he was with the Saints, right? Great offensive line, great skill position players, phenomenal coaching as well. So that put him in a position to succeed. And I don't know that people realize that he did succeed. He was the quarterback 12 in fantasy during those five games. A lot of it was because he had that one really big game against the Bucs. He had over 300 yards and he had four touchdowns in that game. But that shows you that he can do that. He can put up big numbers. Now he's going to Carolina. He's the unquestioned starter there at the beginning of the season, right? Cam Newton is gone at this point. And they have weapons that really fit his style. Now, I think he's a little bit better throwing deep than people may realize. I think people kind of get on him for that. But he is a, a short to intermediate range guy. And last year, they had Kyle Allen, who is a backup through and through. And Teddy's going to come in and upgrade on everything Kyle Allen did while also kind of playing a similar style. He's going to want to throw those short to intermediate routes. And you have the perfect group for that. You have Christian McCaffrey. You have DJ Moore, who, man, I I love DJ Moore this year. I could spend a whole podcast talking (laughs) about him. You have Curtis Samuel, who recently uh, the team has talked up that, you know, they want to get him involved more. Those guys can catch these short passes and take them to the house. And then you also add Robbie Anderson to stretch the field. You have uh, Ian Thomas, young, promising tight end there as well. So those are some pretty nice weapons. And then a new coaching staff coming in that's offensive-minded, Matt Rule, bringing in Joe Brady, who Bridgewater has some history with mm-hmm. going back to their time together on the Saints. And don't underestimate how important that is in an offseason like this where you don't have all the time with the coaches, right? So Bridgewater's going to have a little bit of a, a leg up, whereas some guys who are taking over a new offense, some of these quarterbacks, might be a little bit tougher. They're going to be behind the eight ball just a little bit there. So I think it's setting up very well for him. And then the other thing is the Panthers completely rebuilt their defense this year. And that Mm -hmm. defense, it's going to be bad. There's going to be a lot of growing pains there. And what I think, they were very quietly second in the league in pass attempts last year. It was 633. Guess what? They're going to be up in that range again. There's no way that they can't be. They're in the NFC South. All the offenses in that division are great now, right? You're going to have some shootouts. So Teddy's going to have to throw a lot. The volume's going to help him. And it's going to put him back in a position where I think he could be that fringe. It's not going to be an elite option where he could give you top five numbers, but he could be a fringe low-end quarterback one in fantasy. I love, I mean, every single point you made, all the points that I would have listed out, the shootout styles that are coming. Uh, But My favorite one, and I think the biggest one, is that Joe Brady move there at offensive coordinator. I mean, LSU, yeah, it's college, so is it going to automatically translate? Of course not. It's going to be a different higher level of competition, but they go from scoring 69th um, most points in the NCAA and 65th in passing to then going definite first with um, 586.5 yards per game. And Just a historic season, yeah. R- ridiculous. And I mean, obviously, Burrow was a huge part of that, the number one overall pick, but the year before that, I mean, he threw 2,777 more yards and 44 more TDs. You got to think Joe Brady was part of that. I Part of me just thinks he's going to be that next kind of Sean McVay innovator that uses... He comes from the Saints, as you said. He already has experience. In fact, they said that while he was with the Saints, his job was to catch Teddy Bridgewater up when they traded for him, which is just they have that much more familiarity. Obviously, goes out and gets his guy. So both of those things are, are huge. I, I love it. It's all about getting speed and space. I think Curtis Samuel 
Samuel finally gets utilized the right way too, and he has a huge bounce back in addition to my DJ Moore love. I totally love him as well. So with these yak monsters around him, just because he doesn't love to throw deep, I agree with you too, underrated deep ball, but does he really even have to when he has these type of yak monsters around him? It's just going to be get it out, let these guys do their thing. I think it's going to be a beautiful offense that goes from, you know, the 20th most points last year. I totally could see them leaping into the top 10 because they're going to have to. If they're going to have any type of competitive drive, they're going to have to. So (laughs) I absolutely love that pick. Uh, My guy I wrote down is Drew Locke. I think he could take the next step. And it's not necessarily that I love Drew Locke. I just love the weapons cabinet at this point. When we saw Cortland Sutton break out, you add Jerry Judy to that, which, I mean, he might be the best rookie receiver in this class that was pretty loaded. Uh, Noah Fant had some real breakout appeal last year. We saw some huge flashes, huge athleticism. Melvin Gordon gets added, a very solid pass protector, pass catcher. And then you bring in Pat Shermer as well, who loves to sling it deep, loves to throw it in general. He's kind of molded under Andy Reid. He's only been under the uh, you know 11th most pass attempts, 12th most pass attempts, just twice in 10 years of his career. And we saw with Daniel Jones, the eighth most deep pass attempts last year as a rookie. So he wasn't afraid to let his guys go out and sling. He's got the weapons to do it. I'm a little nervous. You know, Vic Fangio, more of a defensive minded guy. Is that going to try to, you know, slow the pace down, grind it out with our new running game? Could be the case, but ultimately just so many weapons around him in a division where I think it's going to be you know, not quite the, you know, the, the Saints versus the, the Panthers, as we were just alluding to, but I do think there's some high ups, you know, you know, Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers could put together a solid offense. Even the Raiders, you know, Carr's not necessarily a gunslinger, but they got talent there. So I'm very intrigued by that division. I think there could be some shootouts. Do you buy into Drew Locke at all, or am I a little crazy here to be high on him? No, I do, and I think it's it's interesting. You know, something that we have to pay attention to is when a team says one thing, but when they do something else, trust the actions over the words, right? And mm-hmm. you would think, based on Vic Fangio, based on the way they were last year, that they do want to run the ball. And that does have me a little bit worried about the volume for Drew Locke, because I kind of think the Broncos are going to be sneaky good, and I kind of think they're going to win more games than people expect, yeah. and that means they are going to be able to run the ball a little bit more. But they've gone out and surrounded Locke with all these weapons, right? And Mm -hmm. if they need to throw, if they end up in some high-scoring games with the Chiefs and stuff, I'm right there with you that we don't know that he's going to be able to get it done, but everything is put in place for him to get it done. But I have shied away from just a little bit, and it is just a volume thing, that I'm not convinced that he's going to have elite volume for a whole season because of Vic Fangio, because of signing Melvin Gordon and having Gordon and Lindsay and, you know, the offensive line under Mike Munchak, they're going to keep getting better as well. So that's going to help the running game too. It's also going to help Drew Locke have some time to get things done back there. So we might be a a year early, let's say on Drew Locke. I think we could be looking at him (laughs) next year. Maybe once all those young receivers are just, you know, have a little more experience as well. Maybe that's when he finally takes that step. Absolutely. Yeah, I did want to point him out, but ultimately... Teddy Bridgewater's cheaper, and I like Teddy more, so I don't really end up with Drew Locke all that often. It's almost always Teddy Bridgewater, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, or something of that nature. Um, another just year where you're kind of waiting on QB for the most part. Let's move on to running backs here. I love. It. I wanted to go into some deep shots, but you know what? We'll save those for for the uh, the listeners to go to those articles. All right. Because I, I loved all the ones you picked too. I think they're very intriguing. So make sure you check it out. I might go into your running back deep shot just because I absolutely love this one too. So okay. We might have to do that, but otherwise, make sure you check out for the deep shots too over on the score uh, in this article series. It has been fantastic. Now I loved your one of your picks. I loved. I really liked all your running back picks. To be honest, it's pretty easy to pick out. Who, actually, almost more difficult than anything because I loved all the guys you had. So I was like, which one do I pick? Because they, they were all great <laughs> selections. But Kareem Hunt, man, like that one, I, I am so behind. What's your case for Kareem Hunt this year? Well, I believe that that Hunt, you know, for as much as his career got derailed by the off-field stuff, this guy's still one of the best running backs in the league, right? He's a, technically a backup right now in Cleveland. But if he was a starter somewhere, it's a good chance he'd be top 10 in my rankings. And I think he'd be one of the, the better fantasy options. You go back to his rookie season, led the league in rushing yards as a rookie, was a top five fantasy producer. And then the next year before the Chiefs let him go, before all that stuff happened, I think he was top six again. Now, the Chiefs offense for sure is part of that. But then when he comes back last season and he's playing that complimentary role behind 
a guy who I think is even better than Nick Chubb. I'm not suggesting that Hunt is even better than Nick Chubb. He's the second best running back on his team. Mm -hmm. But last year when he came back down the final stretch, he was the RB17 in PPR leagues while Chubb was the RB15. So Hunt was getting a lot of work. I think he had, uh, I think it was 43 carries and 37 receptions, something around that range. So they were keeping him very involved. And that makes me think they're going to do that again this year. There's been some talk from the coaching staff that they're going to try to get these guys on the field at the same time. Hunt's been working with in the, you know, the Zoom offseason virtual meetings. He's been working with the receivers as well. So do we see him line up in the slot a little more? That kind of stuff. And then you have a new coaching staff show up there. And this is the biggest one, right? You have Kevin Stefanski yeah. come over from Minnesota. He Minnesota last year, the fourth most rush attempts in the league. You have the Browns who were down in the 20s. And the difference, I believe, was like 78 touches for the running backs from the Vikings to the Browns. It's a big number, right? Huge. That's the kind of thing that could allow Hunt and Chubb to be, I forget who said it on, on our podcast a few weeks ago, but they could be that Alvin Kamara, uh, Mark Ingram kind of duo. We could see both these guys put up really big numbers this season. So, And then, and I'm not even mentioning the fact that if something happens to Nick Chubb, which I hope doesn't because I have a lot of Nick Chubb shares out there, mm. if something happens to him, Boom, you have a, a league winner. You just won your league with Kareem Hunt. I'm pretty much going to guarantee it at that point. So, And you can get him. The cost isn't that bad to get him in you know, the sixth round or so. He's going off the board as the, the RB30. Um, I think you're going to get value on that. Even if he just bumps it up you know, and is a, sort of a fringe, you know, low-end RB2, you're still getting value there. A hundred percent. I absolutely love every point. Like, you know, obviously the league winner status, if Chubb goes down is is obvious there, especially at this scheme that's just going to be so insane from Kevin Stefanski that made Dalvin Cook such a monster. But I don't know that he necessarily needs to have him go down for all those points you just mentioned. I mean, look at what made Austin Eckler a league winner. Even was a top 10 running back even after Melvin Gordon came out because he was lining up in the slot, moving all over, being that joker kind of Alvin Kamara style role. I mean, Give that to Kareem Hunt. I think he's just as good, if not better, than both Kamara and Austin Eckler. Both all very similar talents, but man, he's just as good in my mind. So if you give him that style of role, and they've already said we don't have a, a clear-cut wide receiver three, it could be Kareem Hunt. It could be you know Raheem Higgins, Rashad Higgins rather. It could be an absolute uh, money factor just on his own, and then you know ultimate handcuff with benefits there. I'm all about it. I was actually writing an article why both those guys could explode. And I cited the uh, Ingram Kamara comparison there, so I oh, love it. There you go. Uh, you yeah. know, it's it's exactly what I'm I'm considering here too. Is e even if you only had him and and Chubb plays all 16, he still could be a huge value because the eight to ten carries he's going to get are in that blocking scheme and the offensive line too. The improvements are insane. You know, you go from the literal worst graded starting tackle in run blocking at right tackle Chris Hubbard, and you bring in Jack Conklin, the sixth highest grade of all tackles. Unbelievable move. And then you had Greg Robinson at left tackle, you know, middling 60 run grade there. Nothing special, certainly below the, the top half there. And now you bring in Jedrick Wills at 10th overall. What a clear commitment to the run. What a huge, you know, move there. That He's got 90 and a half pro football focus grade. Jedrick Wills, the, Kevin Stefanski raved about how he's a perfect schematic fit because of how athletic and mauling he is. So just all of that combined means even if Chubb stays healthy, if he still gets, you know, Hunt right around Madison's 10 or so carries a game, he's going to feast on that, especially if they're moving him all over the place. So love Definitely. the Kareem Hunt call. I think it's fantastic. The guy I have is a bit polarizing, so I'd love to hear you know what you think of him. All right. I love Raheem Mostert, and I know he's been kind of crapped on all over, and I get the negatives. A journeyman never could lock it down. The shenanigans with Shanahan, like is he going to ever commit to a guy or not? Totally understand the concerns. They're all very real. But still, Mostert was just so damn efficient on just such limited work last year that he was the running back eight from weeks 12 to 17, even only getting right around 10 to 12 carries a game. In fact, whenever he's seen nine carries or more, he's averaged over 16 and a half fantasy points per game. Would have been, you know, the running back, I believe, 
seven or eight off the top of my head last year with 16 points per game. Uh, so, I mean, the guy just balls out whenever he's given the rock. You remove Matt Breida, so to me that suggests some more uh, you know work coming to him. Last year, Shanahan finally did start to commit to him. He cited, how can we keep this guy off the field? So, yes, I get, like, you know, why hasn't he earned his way onto the field after all this time? But also, when he finally got there, he, he produced. And we had a, a good 49ers beat writer, Grant Cohen, on the other uh, Monday, actually. And he came on and said, you know, if this guy does get 250 or so touches, I think he hits 16,000 yards rushing. Uh, 1,600. Not 16,000. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but, you know, coming from, he just said he's a perfect scheme fit. He thinks they're going to use him a lot more on, you know, Yes, he had minimal receiving work last year, and he's not like the best quick twitch guy. But he was citing how he thinks he's gonna—they're gonna send him on a lot more wheel routes because he was a, a receiver coming out of high school. Great deep skill set. We saw it on that touchdown with Emmanuel Sanders thrown to him. He thinks we're we're gonna see a lot more of that. So that's kind of my case for Mostert. Are you kind of on the the pro Mostert train? Are you against him? He's a pretty polarizing guy, especially these days on Twitter. And that's what it is. There's a really wide spectrum, a really wide range of outcomes for him this season. And once you get to that, you know, RB25 range, it drops off a little as far as, you know, guaranteed workload and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. So, yeah, you know what? In that range, I'm happy to take Mostert, you know, the fifth round or so and go for that upside. As long as you acknowledge that there is a very low floor with him as well. And part of it, you know, you kind of touched on some of it. The lack of receiving work that he had last year, maybe that gets bumped up. And and if it does, and if they do commit to him, he could be a huge star. He could be an RB1 in fantasy in this offense. The problem is everything we know about this system and what we've seen from it the last few years, they tend to get other guys involved. You know, if Tevin Coleman's healthy, I don't know why. Kyle Shanahan's absolutely in love with him, and he constantly gets him involved. (laughs) The one that's really sneaky here to think about is – Jarek McKinnon coming back healthy. And if not Jarek McKinnon, them getting somebody like Jermichael Hasty involved. And I know yeah. he's a UDFA, but UDFAs pop in this offense all the time, right? And <laughs> Kyle Shanahan finds these guys. And that's why in Dynasty, I've been telling everybody, go get Jermichael Hasty, go get Salvin Ahmed. Let's see. Who knows? It, it's good. It might be a couple years before we see one of them, you know, pop up and get some work. But anybody in that rushing attack could put up big numbers and Raheem Mostert's a perfect example right so I'm a little bit worried about the floor but once you get to that stage of the draft it depends who's there at receiver it depends how you're building your team but you want the upside and no one can deny even the people who are completely against Mostert you can't deny that he has that upside to be a a difference maker and potentially a league winner as well this season so I am with you there but I accept that he has a, a very low floor that makes him a little riskier. Absolutely. Uh, and it's funny you brought up uh, Hasty because on the podcast, you know, that's what Grant Cohen said. He doesn't know if McKinnon will okay. be back. But even if he didn't, he still thinks they'll find someone like Hasty uh, to, to fill that void, which was a little bit annoying to think of. Uh, can they just unleash Mostert? But I will say, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody, the, I always see the narrative. He only, Shanahan, will ride a hot hand. He's never had a workhorse. And that's just also not true. In six out of 12 seasons, he's given a running back 280 touches. I'm not saying sitting here saying I think Mostert's going to see that but again he only needs 9 to 12 carries to really produce I do think we see that um, so so we'll see but the other point you brought up too is the running backs you know the wide receivers going in that range that 5th round range if you get like a DK Metcalf or I guess not Debo Samuel anymore but Terry McLaurin you know there's yep. so many intriguing guys in round 5 that I often find myself going running back running back running back and then going wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver in a lot of drafts so ultimately I'm not ending up with Mostert all that much, I just wouldn't be shocked if he ends up outperforming that fifth round ADP because of the system, because of the efficiency we saw last year. The guy that you cited as your deep shot that I personally loved was Boston Scott, which I don't get how he's being completely ignored. Yes, we all know Miles Sanders benefited from this offseason, but why not Boston Scott too? It's not like he doesn't benefit from them bringing in nobody else to compete, as at least as of right now. What's your kind of case for Boston Scott being a nice deep shot here? I didn't think that I'd be talking about Boston Scott in the offseason because I thought they were going to bring somebody else in. I, yeah. I thought, you know, as, as good as he played down the stretch, I thought there was going to be either somebody brought in like a veteran guy or, and maybe that still will happen. There's still guys out there like Devonta Freeman and stuff, although apparently he wants a ton of money and maybe his price is going to have to come down a little bit. But Or I thought they'd draft somebody else. 
uh, to come in there, maybe a bigger body guy. And then they didn't. So right now, Boston Scott is the immediate backup. And he's somebody that showed really well down the stretch last year. Really sneaky. Had 45 or more yards from scrimmage in four of his last five games. Had a couple games where he had over 100 yards from scrimmage, which was pretty surprising. They were getting him involved in the receiving game a lot. If Miles Sanders goes down right now, he's the guy. They could go out and sign somebody off the street, but right now he's the guy. And along the lines of Kareem Hunt, and by no means am I saying Boston Scott is Kareem Hunt, but they both can give you, you know, flex production. Like Boston Scott maybe can't give you the RB2 numbers, but he could give you flex production while also being that handcuff, being that guy who has so much upside if Sanders went down. So guys like that, they're kind of twofold, right? They can help you in a lot of ways on your roster a little later down. Thousand percent. I mean, the the Joker kind of role is his and the handcuff upside a lot. It is like Kareem Hunt light. I think that's a really good comparison there. I mean, running back five in week 14 with 24.8 fantasy points, 16 touches, 128 yards from scrimmage, running back 23 the next week, running back 37, eh, kind of had a dud mixed in there, but then running back two where he had 138 yards from scrimmage, three TDs, just absolutely blew up. Ultimately was the running back seven for those last four weeks. And he's getting drafted as the running back 53 and 138 overall. I mean, to me, his fantasy value rose for all those reasons you just cited. But clearly, his price has not, despite all the Miles Sanders love. Like, I mean, this is the guy, if I don't get Sanders because it just doesn't fall to me, I would still want a piece of that backfield. And it's definitely Boston Scott. Anybody can have him at this price. He's going undrafted, essentially. What about wide receivers here? Who do you have? We saw a ton of breakout wide receivers exceed their ADP last year. Is there anybody you see with a similar profile for 2020? Well, I think you spoiled it earlier when you said me go hard at one point <laughs> off the top, right? It's it, There's a few guys in the article, but yeah. well, Miguel Hardman is for sure one of them. When you look back to early in the season, we thought there was a chance that Tyreek Hill was going to get suspended at this time last year and that maybe Hardman was going to end up getting a lot more starts than he did. Then Tyreek goes out and gets hurt in week one. And over that month that Hill wasn't in the lineup, Hardman had some some decent days. I don't have the stat lines memorized, so I'm going to read them off for you. Four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Two catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. Four for 79 as well. So three of those four games, he had big production, had at least five targets in all of those games. He showed what he can do in this offense. Now, we presume Hill's going to be back here and healthy this year. We can't guess that he's going to get hurt again or anything like that. But you have Sammy Watkins taking a pay cut in order to stay there. I think that's a sign as much as you know, we're disappointed that Sammy's still going to be in the offense and maybe stealing some work from Hardman. That's a sign that that's how this team views them, right? Watkins is going in the wrong direction. And then all we really need from Hardman is more opportunity. He showed what he could do last year. He tied for the league lead with uh, four touchdowns, over 40-plus yards, according to PFF. So all he needs is that opportunity. You have their special teams coach come out and say, guess what? We're looking at other guys. I don't think I'm going to have Hardman as much this year because his opportunity on offense is going to grow. They're going to use him more. That tells you right there. That's a quote that they're going to try to get him more involved. So, you know, maybe it's uh, Marcus Robinson, who actually had a surprising amount of work last year. Maybe it's him losing touches. Watkins had like 90 targets. I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that this year. Hardman's going to take a a big step forward in this offense. And what is there not to like? I mean, you're talking about a second-year player who has 4-3-3 speed, who's playing with the best quarterback in the league, in arguably the most prolific offense in the league, right? Like, it's just, it's all lining up here for him to have a a big year. And then if you have somebody go down, like if you have, you know, Kelsey get hurt or you have Hill get hurt, one of those top options, now all of a sudden Hardman is just going to skyrocket up draft boards. And and really, all these guys that I talked about in these exceeding expectations articles – you don't have to pay that much to find exactly. out if he's going to be the guy this year, right? He's going very cheap for the kind of upside that he has. I love the stat you cited too, the 40 plus uh, yard touchdowns. Four of them was tied for the PFF lead. 
he did that on only 26 receptions compared exactly. to the other guys, which is just insane. Yes, you know, Tyreek Hill was another one, Stefan Diggs, Kenny G, AJ Brown. I mean, like some of the biggest names to be lumped into that category and to do it on less than half of the next closest guy's volume just tells you everything you need to know about him as a playmaker. So if that opportunity, if and when it's eventually going to happen, there was some reports too recently, right, about them bringing in punt returners so they could hopefully like lessen his load as a, as a punt returner, suggesting the Again, that opportunity, all those things suggest a, a bigger role. And of course, the handcuff type of, you know, it's almost like handcuffing receivers at this point, not just running backs. Um, I, I love it. I love all those points. Kind of a similar mold, but certainly on the other side of the trajectory of their careers for me, that's Deshaun Jackson, another huge play guy. We saw a brief, brief glimpse last year of what this could be between him and Wentz. 35 points in week one. I believe it was the highest scoring wide receiver of that week. And and ultimately gets hurt, which is, of course, the risk. But he's also going right in that, that McCole Hardman price range, well, you know, in the, the 100 or so range. And yes, they add Jalen Rager. Yes, we know it's going to funnel through the tight ends a lot of this. But still, I mean, they, they said their GM come out right after the, the um, free agency period. They didn't sign anybody. He says, we have Deshaun Jackson. You know, he's our, we can shoulder him. We think he was going to be a superstar last year based on that first game. And we just need to keep maximizing his potential and difference-making ability. And that's kind of also what I loved about that week one is, sure, he scored the long balls, but they were getting in bubble screens and just like the way they were moving him all over the place. It wasn't just go straight down the field and like two catches went for huge yardage. It was 10 targets. It was eight catches at all different layers and levels. So I love Deshaun Jackson's upside for the price he's going. I think Carson Wentz is going to explode this year with all these weapons around him. I mean, he's the QB8 with nothing to throw to him. No wide receiver had over 500 yards for him. So now you surround him with some big, deep threats. I think that whole offense just opens up and, and, and lights up scoreboards. And I think he's going to be a huge part of it. So at that cost, if he ends up being the number one offensive you know, wide receiver in that offense, I think it's going to pay off huge. Are you taking Deshaun Jackson totally. at all? Okay, yeah. <laughs> print, print the t-shirts. Let's get everybody on board here. I mean, who else in that receiving core is going to step up? And Alshon Jeffrey's probably not going to be there at the beginning of the season, right? So you look at Jackson. You talked about that week one. I think it was eight catches, 154 yards, a couple touchdowns. Sure, we're not going to get that every week, but and it might not even, you know, he might not even stay healthy for the whole season at this point. But if you get him almost like a Will Fuller or a Brandon Cooks, you get him and he gives you, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two production for even half the season it's worth it where he's going. And I think that's what you're going to get. I think they want to push the ball downfield. They've said as much. Um, Deshaun can still get it done. You want to go back a couple of years ago with Tampa. He was a top five fantasy receiver in the first month of the season. Uh, he's got the skills. It's just whether he can stay on the field. And I don't see a ton of target competition there for him specifically in the receiving core. Obviously they got the tight ends. Obviously Miles Sanders is going to be involved, but we need some of those receivers to do something. And you're putting a lot expecting that Jalen Rieger is going to be the guy who's going to come in and put up big numbers as a rookie in a strange offseason, you know, where he's got limited work here to get ready. It really puts Deshaun in a position where he's going to produce, especially early in the season. Absolutely. And last but not least is tight ends. I'm not going to give mine just because I really want to run you through the no huddle offense. It takes about two to three minutes. And right. I know we, we only have about five minutes left. So give me quickly your case for Eric Ebron. He's one of the, the three tight ends you list. What do you love about him in the move to Pittsburgh? So two years ago, I was really high on Ebron. Maybe the best bold prediction I've ever had where I said that he is going to uh, put up double digit touchdowns that year. I didn't expect that it was going to be like 14 total touchdowns or whatever it ended up being, but I saw the opportunity for him in Indy. And then last year I was off of him because his price went way up. Now he was being priced like a low end tight end one, maybe even higher. And I didn't think it was worth it. They had brought in some other guys. Obviously the, the quarterback situation changed kind of last minute in Indy as well. But even before that, I wasn't as high on him. But this year, I'm back in, and it's because he's going outside of the top 20 tight ends this yeah. year in fantasy. And I know there's a lot of great late-round options this year, a lot of guys with a ton of breakout potential. You can really wait at tight end and grab a couple of these guys late. I think Ebron should be on that list because guess what? I think he's got a shot at double-digit touchdowns <laughs> again in this offense because other than Juju in the passing game, and we'll assume Ben's going to come back, that Roethlisberger is going to give you, even if it's not 100% of what he was, 
maybe gives you 80% of what he was. That's still a million times better than that passing offense last year, yeah. right? It just ground to a halt. And I think that's fresh in everyone's mind, what Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges were doing there. Ben Roethlisberger is much, much better than that, even if he's on the decline, even if he's coming back and he's not 100%. He's going to get that passing game back to a much higher level. And you really only have Juju that's proven. We're all in on Deontay Johnson. I hope you're with me. But I think Deontay Johnson is going to be a good player, but he's not proven yet. And James Washington isn't somebody you can have a ton of confidence in. So guess what? Ebron comes in. I don't see him putting up big yardage, but he's got a shot to put up a bunch of touchdowns this season. And we know at tight end, that's all it takes, right? If you have a big touchdown total at tight end, Mm -hmm. you sneak right into the tight end ones in fantasy. So I think we could see Ebron do that again this year. I love it. I think it's a fantastic prediction. I, I certainly need to readjust where I have him because all those points make complete sense, and I, and I love it. The guy I wrote down, and I'm not going to have the time to go into it, but it's where Eric Ebron left behind, Jack Doyle. They only replaced him with Trey Burton. We know how often Frank Reich loves to target tight ends, so I'm looking at him as one of the unsexiest but tons of upside style picks. So I like that one too. Him. Yeah, I got to throw his name out there. All righty. You have time to, for us to quickly run you through the no-huddle offense? Let's do it. All righty, my man. I appreciate that. So I'm going to give you 20, just quick, you know, who comes to mind, what player or word, or you'll see with some of these questions, what's your gut reaction to these? So let's start it off with number one. After Christian McCaffrey, the number two player in fantasy should be? Saquon Barkley. The next Dalvin Cook or round two running back who's going to be top five in 2021 is? Uh, there's probably a couple that qualify. Let's say Kenyon Drake, though. He's somebody I think should be going in the first round. What is your favorite fantasy team name that you've either had or seen before? Uh, I'm a big fan of putting my own name in my team names, Boone. And Boone is one that kind of works pretty easy. So there was a league where I did uh, the Boone identity, kind of like the Bourne identity. And then when I won that year, the next year I switched it to the Boone Supremacy and I just kept it as that name because I kept doing really well every year. <laughs> Did you take it down with the Boone Supremacy as well? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I won the second year as well awesome. and then I couldn't get rid of the name after that. <laughs> I love it. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> what about the next Chris Godwin, round four or five receiver who explodes into the elite? I mean, this one might be obvious because everybody seems to be on him, but Calvin Ridley, I would probably say, is the guy there. It's pretty hard not to go with him. I mean... Uh, I'm not 100% sure of A.J. Brown. I think A.J. Brown might be going in that range. Maybe he snuck into the third at this point, but both those guys, I think, got good shots to to do that. What about 2020's Mark Andrews or breakout tight end? Oh, it's it's Hayden Hurst. And for some reason, people are still sleeping on him. We did. I know it's supposed to be rapid fire here, but we did a, a mock at the score this week. And he, he was still available in like the 12th round. I think 15 or 16 tight ends had already gone off the board. And I already had a tight end, and I had to take him. I, I couldn't Absolutely. let him go undrafted. Love it. Who is your most hated NFL player? And it's for fantasy specific reasons. Oh, for fantasy specific. I mean, I mean, it's probably for both. I'm just, I got to say Tom Brady. I mean, I'm wearing (laughs) the Bills hat, right? He's, it's been both. I don't really like drafting Patriots players normally, but I've never had Tom Brady on my team in fantasy and I I never will, hopefully. (laughs) I I hate to say it too, and I saved it till the end here, but I'm actually a pretty diehard Pats fan myself. I figured you might (laughs) hang up on me if I uh, release that info too early. (laughs) All right. The, uh, the next, if there's somehow another Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, it would be uh, there might be and it might be kyler murray this year i think it's five for five now all the experts i've had on have said kyler yeah, he, murray so. he fits the mold the only difference is he costs a lot more this year than lamar did exactly. last season exactly which early rounder first or second is going to bust the hardest uh i think leonard fournette still last i looked at the adp i think he's still sneaking in late in the second so but he's too obvious uh let's say derrick henry i think people forget every year they have it fresh in their mind that at the end of the season, he goes off and he has a month or two where he's just unbelievable. But before that, the last couple of years, he was not great for fantasy. So you got to watch out. He doesn't get a lot of receiving work. And if the team isn't winning as much, last year was kind of the perfect storm for him. I worry about him where he's going, which is, you know, middle of the first round, late in the first round. Who gained the most fantasy value in the 2020 offseason? Uh, I mean, for me, DJ Moore probably, cause you know, the more I look at him, the more I just see a guy that's going to be an elite 
fantasy player who's going to be an elite receiver and maybe even put up top five numbers this year. I think this year at this time next year, we're going to be talking about him as a top five fantasy receiver and the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, you know, a little upgrade on quarterback for with Kyle Allen, like we talked about with Bridgewater. It's looking pretty good for DJ Moore. Conversely, who do you think lost the most value this offseason? Oh, this one's got to be obvious. It's Jameis, right? Come on, Jameis Winston. Who throws for <laughs> 5,000 yards and then doesn't even right. have a starting job the next year? How does that happen? <laughs> Very random question here, but do you ever play Settlers of Catan? I do not. I have not. And I don't even know that I could tell you one fact about that. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my favorites. I always just sneak that one All in right. there. My the apologies. Ne- no, no worries. I think I'm 0 for 5 on that one. I probably have to stop asking. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the next sophomore wide receiver after or even before A.J. Brown that you should take is? The next sophomore, uh, D.K. Metcalf is next up in my rankings, but Terry McLaurin's not far behind. Target hogs or workhorse backs? Workhorse backs. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to at this point. There's not many of them. Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Austin Eckler, all were top five running backs all after round seven. In 2020, that'll be. Uh, I mean, Alexander Madison, but it's not going to be because of a holdout. It's probably going to be because of an injury to Dalvin Cook, maybe. But I'll also throw, you know, a guy that I seem to be getting everywhere, Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds, Mm -hmm. whoever is starting in that Cardinals offense, at running back is going to put up big numbers. Edmonds got one game and he did it last year in that one game at like three touchdowns. If he gets a shot, if Kenyon Drake gets hurt at some point, Chase Edmonds is going to be a, a really, really good fantasy asset. Who, what do you consider the ideal league settings? I like 14 teams a lot because then you don't have an advantage where you know you play a really difficult team twice. In a 14-team league, everybody plays every team once, which is really nice. Uh, I like half-point PPR, super flex. At this point, everybody has to switch to super flex. If you're playing in a one quarterback league, you're just wasting your time. Come on. You got to dig a little deeper. We talked about Teddy Bridgewater is QB 26. That guy's going to be a starter this year. Come on. Uh, so I, I would say those. And then as many flex spots as you want to load up on, because the more flex spots you put in, the higher the degree of difficulty, it just makes it a more challenging, a more fun league. After Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams, owners should draft blanket wide receiver. It's still Julio. The guy's so consistent, right? Like it's, you look at his numbers over the last few years and I know I'm giving an answer for each one. It's supposed to be rapid (laughs) fire, but it's Julio. Julio at number three. Blank was the most important coaching move for Blank's value in fantasy. Uh, We talked about it earlier. Stefanski going to the Browns and for, for Chubb and for Hunt. Do running backs matter? Yes, but they're probably the position that you can replace most of the production the easiest, and that's why everybody gets on them. What is the funniest last place punishment or side bet that you've either witnessed or had to be a part of? <laughs> this one wasn't fantasy. It was a straight up kind of bet on a game, but uh, I bet a coworker a couple years ago. It was the Bills versus the Saints, and I got goaded into it. It wasn't my finest moment. <laughs> And if the Bills won the game, he was going to dye his big beard Bills blue, like the bright Bills blue. And if the Saints won, I had to dye my hair blonde and and bleach it out. And uh, yeah, sadly, I lost that one and I kept up my end of the bargain. I, he allowed me to wait till after the season so that I didn't look too foolish. Cause, and I remember when I went and got it done, uh, the guy that, that put the color in my hair was like, yeah, we're going to make it look great. And I was like, no, no, we're not. It's not going to look good, but I got to pay off the bet. And, and I did. So a couple months there where I was not looking my best. I was going to ask how long was the uh, time stipulation on that one? A couple months? Well, yeah, the thing I didn't realize was even you know even after you do it, it kind of seeps into your head. So your next <laughs> round of hair that comes out, it's still a little bit blonde. Uh, I had to wait way longer for it to come back. Yeah. Brutal, brutal. And the last question here. So boldest 2020 fantasy prediction and then just a reminder of where our listeners can kind of connect and find your work. Uh. One, I've been giving out a couple of bold predictions recently. One that's really sticking with me is, and I don't have it ranked this way, but I think it definitely could happen. Gardner Minshew finishing as a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And I, I did not, last year, I was not that that high on him through it all. Um, I didn't really get into Minshew mania whatsoever. I think there was one week where I started him and it was like that really awful London game where he put up like negative points or something like that. Um, but with the rushing stats that he can put up, 
Um, with the the offensive uh, changes they made in the coaching staff there, bringing in Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden can can help them immensely. Mm-hmm. And I like some of the pieces they surrounded him with. Uh, LaVisca Cheneau, some veteran guys, Tyler Eifert and Chris Thompson. And I like what we're seeing from Minshew. He's taking the lead. He's getting the players together. Um, you know, I think he's got a really good shot. It's mostly because the rushing production that I don't think everybody realizes. He was on pace. If you take just the games where he started 100% of the snaps, not the ones where, you know, Nick Foles came in or he came in for Nick Foles and all that stuff, uh, he was on pace for like 440 rushing yards, and that would have put him like fourth, I think, overall. And you definitely don't think of him as, uh, you know, a Josh Allen, Kyler Murray kind of producer on the ground. Very, very sneaky. And we know to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback, you almost have to put up those rushing numbers now. Um, So Minshew could do it on a team that's going to have to throw the ball a lot. Oh, and then you said um, my content. Everything's available at the score. Uh, It's free. The score app is free. So go download it. Our fantasy football draft kit is out right now. That is also free. (laughs) Um, It's important to say because there's so many draft kits out there that you got to pay for. And ours as of last year, has the most accurate fantasy rankings in the industry and doesn't cost you a dime whatsoever. Um, the Score Fantasy Football podcast, uh, we're going once a week right now. That'll ramp up to a few episodes a week closer to the season. And you can find me on Twitter, at Justin Boone. Happy to answer as many questions. Love interacting with everybody on there. And, man, I appreciate you having me on. This was uh, this was really fun. I'm glad you asked. Absolutely, man. It was a blast. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you giving us the time of day and, and such thoughtful answers, even in the uh, two minute offense. You just we couldn't slow I you down. Can't. You can't. I, I love it. it. I, I love can't it, just man. Give the quick answer. Yeah. I'm the same way. I'm the absolute same way. Well, Justin, this was an absolute <laughs> blast. Thank you so much. And best of luck uh, going for the, the crown this year. Go, best of luck with a repeat defense there. Uh, the I, number I appreciate one fantasy it. expert. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to need it. There's a, a lot of talented analysts in the industry. It's, it's going to be a tough thing to, to repeat, but we'll see if I can get it done. Absolutely. Alrighty, man. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. We really appreciate the time. You too. Take care. Congrats on being one step closer to those 2020 titles. Be sure to check out ffbdpod.com for show notes from this and any other episode. And if you haven't already, it would mean the world to hear your thoughts and the reviews and to share it out with friends that you're not going to face in fantasy leagues this year. Thanks again, Wolfpack. Until next time, Wolf is out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, 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 at least we stole the show. Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.